Well, Happy New Year, 2019, and a new year always is a great opportunity to take stock, to evaluate, to set goals, to recalibrate, to get back into order because over time we tend to drift, don't we? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. One of my heroes, J.C. Ryle, he said this, he said, believe me, you cannot stand still in the affairs of your souls. I think we think that, that there's a neutral position in the Christian life, but there's not. You cannot stand still. Habits of good or evil are daily strengthening in your hearts. Every day, you're either getting nearer to God or further off. There's no standing still. There is no neutral. And so this morning, I want us to not drift in the wrong way. I want us to drive forward, specifically thinking about the word-saturated home. And this sermon is going to apply most directly to parents, also to grandparents, but it's going to be relevant for all of us because we all can and should have spiritual children regardless of who lives in our home. And grandparents, especially of Southside, let us transcend the typical job description of grandparents, of just sugar them up, spoil them, send them home. And we can do so much better. And we need you to do so much better. Grandparents, you are called to come alongside your kids as they disciple their kids. And listen, you can be a crucial, a vital, added voice into the life of that child. So come alongside them to be a spiritual encouragement. I'm not saying don't have fun, have a lot of fun, but along the way, as you have fun, point them to Jesus Christ. Children, students, I want you to be supportive. I want you to be excited about the things that God's going to call your parents to this morning. You can be of help to them. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're called to honor your parents and you're called to pursue the Lord through the word. And so this morning is going to be vital stuff for us all as we think about the home. People regularly say that 70 plus percent of churched kids leave the church once they leave home. Charles Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers, Baptist Preacher said, brethren, I wish it were more common. I wish it were universal with all Christians to have family prayer. We sometimes hear of children of Christian parents who do not grow up in the fear of God. And we are asked how it is that they turn out so badly. In many, very many cases, I fear there is such a neglect of family worship that it's not probable that the children are at all impressed by any piety supposed to be possessed by their parents, end quote. Not all. But in many, very many cases, they haven't been trained at home. So parents, you are called to spiritually lead your children. In fact, one of the strongest convictions we have here at Southside Baptist Church is that parents are the primary disciple makers of their children. We love student ministry. We've got D-Now this weekend. We will always have a programmatic element of student ministry. We love children's ministry. We are renovating this spring, hopefully, the second floor to help provide for kids in a better way. We've extended uh, Charcy's hours in, in nursery. We hope to hire an assistant for Ashley in elementary. We want to continue to do kids' ministry well. But listen, even if you're the most faithful family, we're only going to have your kids some 80 to 100 hours a year. And you're going to have them for thousands and thousands. 
Again, J.C. Ryle, I'm quoting more dead guys this sermon than I normally do because this is a lost art. Sadly. Again, J.C. Ryle, fathers and mothers, you may take your children to be baptized. You may have them enrolled in the ranks of Christ's church. You may get godly sponsors to answer for them. You, they may help you by their prayers. You may send them to the best of schools, give them Bibles and prayer books, fill them with head knowledge. But if all this time there is no regular training at home, I tell you plainly, I fear it will go hard in the end with your children's souls. Home is the place where habits are formed. Home is the place where the foundations of character are laid. Home gives the bias to our tastes and likings and opinions. See then, I pray you, that there be careful training at home. Happy indeed is the man who can say as Bolton did upon his dying bed to his children. I do believe not one of you will dare to meet me before the tribunal of Christ in an unregenerate state. Now, we have no control as parents over the salvation of our kids. We believe salvation is of the Lord. We believe in free and sovereign grace. But as parents, we are called to do everything we can to move them towards the Lord. And so, parents, we want you to own this ministry. Own the fact that you are the primary disciple makers of your children. And by own it, I don't only mean believe it. We want to get there. But act upon it. There was a recent Barna study that showed that 85% of parents with kids 13 and under believed themselves to be the primary disciple makers of the home. But when asked further questions, they weren't doing anything about it at home in a typical week. And so not just believe it, but act upon that belief. We want you to see that this is your joyful responsibility. In fact, we want you to see this is one of your main callings in life while you have kids underneath your roof. And for families with believing dads at home, brothers, I love you. I am for you. But if you are neglecting this duty, you are neglecting one of the primary calls of God on you today. And today needs to be the day of repentance. Today needs to be the day of resolve for a new trajectory of obedience. This is not optional for the Christ follower. And so let me ask, are you leading the home? Brothers in particular, God calls you to lead the home. You are the God-ordained head of the home spiritually. So you have the title, but the title's not enough, right? Like maybe some of you seen that Will Ferrell skit where he's at the head of the table and there's all this conflict going on and finally he gets fed up and so he says, that's enough, enough. I'm a very important person. There's a lot of people that I'm over. I am a regional manager. I drive a Dodge Stratus. He thought his status alone was enough. His kids had no respect for him. You had the title, dads. The title's not enough. The question is, are you intentionally leading your family to the throne regularly? Do you have a long-term vision for your family? It's so easy just to coast. The enemy wants us just to coast. But dad, are you leading with a vision Where are you taking them? As the man goes, so goes the family. As the family goes, so goes the church. As the church goes, so goes the nation. Which is probably why we're in such a sad state as we are today. If you've got a Bible, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, it's page 141. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that pew Bible with you. Deuteronomy chapter 6.
read verses 4 to 9. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your head and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I want to see four calls here from these verses. The call to confess the Lord, the call to love the Lord, the call to internalize his word, and the call to teach his word. So first we confess the Lord. It's right there in that first verse. Verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is a very common passage of scripture. It's known as the Shema from that first word there in Hebrew is the word hear. And it was used in daily prayer for the Jewish people. The Lord is one. Here we have that great and fundamental claim of monotheism. There is one Lord and he is utterly incomparable. We see that if you flip back just a page or two, Deuteronomy chapter three, verse 24. O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand for what God is there in heaven or on earth or who can do such works and mighty acts as yours. And Deuteronomy will say again and again and again, there is no other besides him. He is one and we confess that. And the implication then, if God is one, there is one true God, what is the clear implication? It's that he owns all things. This world is his. He created us, which tells us not only does he have the right to tell us how to order our lives, we know that he knows best. Because he is the only true God, we should devote ourselves to him. We owe him our allegiance. And so how can we be devoted? Well, the second call is to love him. It's there in the next verse. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these verses are actually just one sentence, verses 4 and 5. And so because he is the one true God, our response should be love. And this also is a big theme really in all of Scripture, but especially in Deuteronomy, we're called again and again and again to love. But in Deuteronomy, as in all of Scripture, love and obedience go together. How do you love God? Well, you obey God. Look, flip over a couple pages the other way to chapter 10. Look at verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Or look at chapter 11, verse 1. You shall therefore love the Lord your God. How? Keep his charge, keep his statutes, keep his rules, keep his commands always. Or look down at chapter 11, verse 13. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Or skip down to chapter 11, verse 22. He says, for if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways and holding fast 
to him. We're called to love God. And it's not just simply a legalistic duty, but it is a relationship based on love. So love isn't just warm feelings toward him during the music on a Sunday morning. And Jesus says the same thing, actually. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it's he who loves me. And so we love him. That's the response to the fact that he's the one true God. We love him and we love him with all of our hearts. The heart in the Bible is not just the emotions, but it's the, the seat of our mind, our will, our intentions, and our emotions. We love him with all of our heart. We love him with all of our soul. The soul is the life of the individual. It's the whole inner self. We love him with all we are, like David in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. So we're called then to love this God with our whole self, our whole mind, our whole feelings, our whole will with all our might, the verse says, with everything. He transforms every part of us. If our lives are only oriented around him during this one hour on Sunday mornings, we are missing out. In fact, we're disobeying this command. In fact, we're disobeying the greatest command. As Jesus puts it in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, he says this, teacher, he's asked this, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So we confess the Lord, and then the response is we love the Lord. The third call then is that we internalize God's word. It's there in verse 6, Deuteronomy 6.6. 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your hearts. So the word of God is to be on the hearts of the people of God. Well, how is that? Well, at the very least, it means we read the word. If you're new here, we just kicked off this plan. It's called F260. There's plans, I think, in the entrances. It's probably still in the bulletin. It's on our Facebook page. It's a really low bar reading plan. It's two chapters a day. If you're not reading the Bible every day, it's a great place to begin. It takes you about 10 minutes a day to jump in. So if you're going to have the word on your heart, at the very least, you've got to be reading it. But I think we need to actually go deeper than that. We need to read it, but we need to meditate on it. Again, a lost art because we're so busy. And man, is the enemy good today in America with providing distraction, is he not? That F-260 plan will actually suggest a couple verses a week that you can double click on and slow down on and maybe memorize. If not, certainly mull over and just take your time and slow down and let the word internalize. And it'll lead to flourishing. Do we believe this? I've been going back again and again to Psalm 1 recently. Blessed, and that word blessed is this idea of flourishing, happiness, joy, life as it was meant. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates, not just reads, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. He delights in this book and he meditates on this book day and night and that leads to blessedness and that leads to fruitfulness. That leads to life. Or be like Joshua who says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then 
you will have good success. The life that flourishes is the life built on the Word of God. The life that withstands the storms of life is the life that's built on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock, which are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so to internalize this word, we have got to be committed to this word. We see that in verse 8 of Deuteronomy 6. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Dedicated to the word of God. This is a central and absorbing interest. This is not, ah, it's there if I get to it or if it's there I happen to make time today. No, this is a evident and obvious commitment. And I think these commands were meant to be taken as a metaphor, but they have been taken literally by many of the Jewish people who literally have boxes on their foreheads and phylacteries hanging off their clothing. That's fine. I think the key, though, the, the, the agenda of the author here is that we're committed to this word with our whole life. They're to be on our hands, our head, our house, our gates. In all of life, the Christian is to be word-centered in what we do, in what we think, in what we delight in in our home life, and in our going outs. So we must internalize God's word. Then the fourth call is then the next extension is to teach God's word. We'll give our seven. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down, and when you rise. So now he addresses specifically parents and grandparents and spiritual parents. And notice he says we're to teach the word in two ways. The first way he says we're to teach this word with diligence, with persistence. We repeat it again and again. We pound the word home again and again because they are forgetful. Our children are forgetful. And you know what? So are we. People of God have always been that way. In fact, flip over just a chapter or so in Deuteronomy and look at chapter 4, verse 9. Only take care, could say be diligent, and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. Speaking of God's great act of deliverance, the Exodus, we could say the cross. Lest you forget what he's done, lest they depart from your hearts all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. There's your grandkids. Lest you forget. We're a forget for people. And so we need to impress the word of God on our children and our grandchildren. He says we need to do it diligently. Notice the progression here. We confess that God is one. What's the response? We love him. How do we love him? We internalize his word and we teach his word. The home that professes to love God needs to be a word-centered home. What would it look like to teach your children, to teach your grandchildren diligently? Could that adjective be used for your home? Diligent teaching of the word. He says we teach the word with diligence, but then he says also, secondly, that we teach the word in all the normal stuff of life. Let's look at it again there, Deuteronomy 6, 7. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise, from breakfast to bedtime, when you sit, when you walk, when you lay, when you rise, all the time we're called to it. And I want us to feel this. We are commanded here, and I don't mean every waking minute, but the word is being brought up and brought to bear regularly. And if you're a stay-at-home mom, you've got a special opportunity to pretty much do it every waking moment. But for the rest of it, it's being brought up all the time. We're just constantly bringing up the word. We're constantly bringing God's word to bear all the time when we walk, when we lay, when we rise. Which, of course, presupposes that we know that word, right? Can't teach what you don't know. They're again reiterating the importance of us internalizing this word. We've got to know it and being able to bring it up. Always teaching the word, parents. During family worship, formally. In the car, at bedtime. During discipline and correction. During dinner, during bedtime. This requires us parents to be on all the time. Intentional all the time. There's really no downtime. There's really no downtime for any Christian, by the way. But especially for parents, always being intentional. Always ready. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, doing all things for the glory of God. And dads, you're called out to lead in this. Men, you are the head of the home spiritually. Moms, if you're single or if your husband's not a believer, you've got to step up and lead. But for those that have dads at home, God calls you to lead spiritually. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. God calls fathers to lead the way in bringing up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Again, are you leading? You are the primary disciple maker of the home. And one of the main ways you can do this is by the regular practice of what we call family worship. Worship is all of life. Worship is not just this hour on Sunday morning. It's all of life, but it's helpful to think of corporate worship. What we do this morning, you got private worship, personal worship, where you pray and you read the word, and there's family worship, where we regularly set aside some time each day to lead our family and bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Here's how Jonathan Edwards put put it. Every Christian family ought to be, as it were, a little church. Every dad a pastor. And so let us resolve, parents, together in 2019. It's the year we take this call to teach our children diligently with seriousness. If it's not now, it needs to become the new routine. Don Whitney, who's got a really good book called Family Worship, says this, Without some regularity and structure and purpose, family worship is one of those things that we assume we are doing but never actually do. Again, 85% of parents, according to that study, Barna said they thought they were doing. And then if you asked, well, what does it look like? They're actually not doing anything. So here's where the formal purpose needs to come in. Without some regularity and structure and purpose, family worship is one of those things that we assume we're doing, but never actually do. Consistent, father-led family worship is one of the best, steadiest, and most easily measurable ways to bring up children in the Lord's discipline and instruction. End quote. So regular, consistent, father-led family worship. One will enable you to keep these commands of Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians 6, but it does so much more. It centers your home around God. It shares the gospel regularly. It encourages Christian character. It builds peace 
in the home. It binds the family together. Family worship provides a common worldview. It equips them for corporate worship. It provides discipleship. So that's why we ought to be about formal family worship. Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians 6. Let's look a little bit more about the when and the how. When should you do it? Anytime. Find a time and regularly commit to it. For most people, that's probably going to be the breakfast table or the dinner table or right before bed, which is what we do. Do a little bit at the table and then we mostly do it right before bedtime. If it's totally new to you, if you've never done anything like this, maybe just commit and say, you know what, I'm going to do three times a week. Maybe Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we're going to do this. And you can do this. And you must do this. The hardest part is getting started. So just get started and start today. Spurgeon said, tomorrow is the devil's day. Get started today. Begin to lead your family in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Grandparents, spiritual parents, you're not going to have them as often, probably. But take advantage of the time you have. Every time you're with them. In what way can you encourage them spiritually? So when? Whenever works. How? Very simple. Three parts. Word, song, prayer. Again, Charles Spurgeon. I agree with Matthew Henry, another Puritan, when he says, They that pray in the family do well. They that pray and read the scriptures do better, but they that pray and read and sing do best of all. Word, song, prayer. Let's look at each of these three. Word. Word is the most important. To be reading the word. We've seen that here in Deuteronomy 6. It's more important that you and your kids hear from God than that he hear from them. Word is vital. And you don't need a master's of divinity degree. You don't need to know Greek and Hebrew. You don't even have to own a commentary. All you have to do is read the Bible. You don't have to make any comments upon it. God's word is powerful. Just read it with regularity. If they ask questions, which I hope they do, I hope you draw them out. You don't know the answer. You know what? I don't know. Let me do some homework. I'll find out tomorrow. Just read. Read the passage that we're going to be in. We're going to be in Ruth for four weeks. We're going to be in Romans for something like 75 weeks. Read the passage that we're in. Read the passage that you just read the morning before. Maybe part of your F260 plan. It doesn't matter. Read the Bible, have a plan, read the Proverbs, whatever, just read. Use a good story Bible if your kids are little. And on our website, under resources, we've got a bunch of recommended kids resources by age. There's a lot of children's literature out there. There's a lot of bad children's literature out there. And so what we've tried to do is cull and put the best resources on our website. So if you want a story Bible, there's all kinds of resources on our website. Maybe it means catechizing. You're like, what? Sadly, this also is a lost art among Protestants. Catechizing is just teaching your kids the contents of the Bible using a question and answer format. We use this thing called the New City Catechism. There's an app. There's songs. We'll say more about it in a minute. Memorize scripture together. Maybe you do a verse a week and every breakfast or every dinner you talk about the verse. Bring your kids to Wednesday night midweek and we're going to give them verses. They can be memorized. You can memorize them together. God will use his word to shape your family. So you've got to bring the word. Next is song. Sing together. And listen, you don't have to have a musical bone in your body to do this. I don't. Neither does my wife. In fact, we were on a road trip the other day. Taylor tried to tell me that I lacked pitch. I sang off pitch. I don't even know what that means, nor do I care. 
I make a joyful noise. We can't, none of us can play an instrument. You know what we do? We usually bust out YouTube and just sing along. We've started posting the songs we're going to sing on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page. Maybe you pick those and teach your kids. And they come in here if they're old enough, ready to sing along. We'll often just sing this little short song called the gospel song that we'll sing here in a moment together congregationally. Or just the doxology. Some song together. And then prayer. Corny cliche is true. The family that prays together stays together. So pray together regularly. Pray together before every meal. Pray together every night before bedtime. But pray also during family worship. Pray something from the passage that you just read. Pray on the spot whenever a trial comes up, whenever there's a hardship. You know what? Just stop, take a knee, and bring it to the Lord in prayer. Take prayer requests from your kids. Write them down. Celebrate when he answers. Pray for your children. Again, listen to Matthew Henry. Be persuaded, brothers and sisters, thus to dedicate your houses to God and beg him to come and take possession of them. If you never did it, do it tonight with all possible seriousness and sincerity. Pray for them. Pray that God would grab their hearts. Pray for their conversions. Pray for their conversions in their hearing. Again, Spurgeon talked about remembering his mama praying for his salvation. Listen to what he says. He remembered his mama praying something like this. Lord, you know if these prayers are not answered and Charles's conversion, these very prayers will bear witness against him in the judgment day. And Spurgeon said, the thought that my mother's prayers would serve as witness against me in the day of judgment sent terror into my heart. <laughs> Pray for their conversion and then pound home the gospel. Pray for the nations. Uh, I'll, I'll post all this and we might get it in an email, but there's also an app called Operation World, which is also a book. And so you can pray for a country every day. You can read a little bit of stats about the country every day. Pray for the nations. Bring, bring a desire and a burden for the lost to bear with how you pray. Don't just pray for your own comfort in your own kingdom, but pray for the nations. Word, song, prayer. You can do it. You have all you need and, and more so. You can do this. You must do this. Find a time. Find a place. Commit to it. Strive for consistency. Guard it. And if it's dinner time, guard the table, man. Get those screens away. Guard that time together. Start slow. Always be brief, especially if you've got little ones. We've got five kids, eight to one. I wish I could record our family worship and show you a clip. In fact, just in memories, in memories on Facebook popped up probably six years ago now. I remember doing this, trying to read the word and trying to encourage my family. And Josiah goes, Daddy. I said, Yeah. And he looks over, and I thought, here we come. He's going to ask me about the doctrine of justification or something like that. And he says, look at my goatee like yours. And he had a piece of ham hanging from his chin. <laughs> Be flexible. Ours is rarely, the formal part of ours is rarely more than 10 minutes. Rarely. But seek to be doing it all the time. Richard, Richard Cecil says, let family worship be short, savory, simple, plain, tender, and heavenly. Let me mention a couple resources here. One is uh, the New City Catechism. We've got this for sale on the book table. Again, there's a free app. Um, there's a bigger book with a devotional. Let me just give you an example here. Question number five. 
four, how and why did God create us? God created us, male and female, in his own image, for his glory. Question five, what else did God create? God created all things, and all his creation was very good. Question six, how can we glorify God? By loving and doing what is doing, obeying his commands and law. You get the idea. Short, simple answers where you can teach your kids and build categories in their minds. It's a lost art. It used to be done by all Protestants. Uh, second book, again, I think this is on our book table as well. If not, it's Amazon Family Worship. Short book, Don Whitney gives you some tools. He structures the book around the same thing, word, song, prayer. Uh, this is over there as well on the book table. This is one of my favorites. Again, short by J.C. Ryle, The Duties of Parents, to encourage you in this way. Lots more resources on our website. Grandparents, redeem your influence. You've got a lot of influence. Redeem it. Be a voice for King Jesus. Come alongside your kids. Maybe your kids aren't following the Lord and you're the only voice for the King. Redeem it. Be bold. Like the psalmist in Psalm 145 says this, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name. Forever and ever, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another. One generation will commend these glorious works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the pain of the fame of your abundant goodness shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. What legacy will you leave to your grandkids? Is it just, ask, well, they made a lot of donuts and candy? Or is it, they came alongside and taught me the word of God? Oh, how many, how many grandparents, grandpas and grandmas through the ages have been used by God because they were intentional with their influence in their grandkids' lives. Or Psalm 71, verse 18, make this your prayer, grandparents. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Maybe you don't have any kids at home. Let me encourage you. You can be a spiritual parent with your intentional influence. Again, Charles Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers, Baptist preacher of the 19th century says this about a woman who was neither a parent or a grandparent. One of the greatest preachers of all time, one of the most prolific authors of all of history. He says, I learned my theology from which I have never swerved from an old woman who was a cook in the house where I was an usher. She could talk about the deep things of God. I learned more from her instruction than from anybody I have ever met since, end quote. Who knows if Miss King had any kids or grandkids, but she had an influence. She had a young man, and she taught him the deep things of God. And look what the fruit the Lord bore through that young man. Miss King the cook, a spiritual mom to Charles Spurgeon. You don't have to have kids at home to make a huge influence and impact in the kingdom of Christ. So would you resolve in 2019 to lead your home spiritually? Life is short. You know that. Grandparents know that especially. They're going to be grown before you know it. Days are long. Years are short. James says life is a mist. It appears for a little while and then it's gone. 
what legacy will you leave? Don Whitney, again, in this book here, Family Worship, he asked the following questions concerning family worship. He says, what better way to evangelize your children daily? What better way to provide a regular time for your children to learn the things of God from you? What better way to provide your children with an ongoing opportunity to ask, both of, ask about the things of God in a comfortable context for such questions? What better way for you to transmit your core beliefs to your children? What better way for your children to see the ongoing spiritual example of their parents? What better way to provide a workable, reproducible examples to your children of how to have a distinctively Christian home when they start a home of their own? What better way of getting your family together on a daily basis? Isn't this what you really want to do? Parents, will you stand with Joshua? You remember this, Joshua 24, verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers who served them in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Now, you're not struggling probably with those gods, but what gods will you choose? Will it be the gods of, of laziness and leisure? will be the gods of apathy and abdication of your God-given responsibility. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Will you stand with Joshua beginning today? Will you put a stake in the ground? Will you develop a vision for your family? Will you strive to implement it as the Lord gives you help? It's a little different. I don't normally do things like this, but I just want, I want you to feel the weightiness. If you're a man in this, in this room and you have children under your roof and you are ready to stand and take a, a commitment, stand with Joseph and resolve to lead your family spiritually and specifically with the regular practice of family worship, I want to ask you to stand where you are. Stand before the Lord Stand before your family and stand before this church family. These words that I command you today shall be on your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let me pray for you, men.